You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me to Ephesians chapter 2, about 12 books in, 10, 12 books into the New Testament. You'll come to this letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Ephesus. And we're in this series that we've titled God's Work in Our Walk. And we're still in the first half of the book of Ephesians, so we're talking about God's work on our behalf. And this morning, we want to specifically focus in, zero in on God's rescue for us. How many of you are glad that God rescued you? And we're going to talk about it here today. Most of you probably know the story of the Titanic. Some of you may have even watched the movie, but I want to briefly recount the story And I want to make an application from it this morning. On April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic, which was the largest ship ever built, made its maiden voyage. It was the finest ship ever designed and was the pride of the British shipbuilders. The ocean liner carried some of the wealthiest people in the world, as well as immigrants who were on their way from Ireland, from from Britain, making their way to America for a new start in life. There were 2,224 passengers on the ship that were enjoying like an unbelievable experience. I mean, this ship had luxury like no other ship ever made. I mean, there were not only the uh, amazing rooms, but there were restaurants, libraries. Uh, I mean, it it would be like thinking of taking a cruise today. There was that kind of luxury built into this ship. Everyone on board was having the time of their lives until, until tragedy struck. On April the 14th, just four days into the voyage, the Titanic struck a huge iceberg which caused the whole plates to buckle inwards along the right side of the ship. And immediately, immediately the ship began to take on water. And the big party turned into a nightmare. Due to poor regulations, there were not enough lifeboats for everyone on board, which created a further crisis. And two hours after striking the iceberg, the ship broke apart and sank. And on that horrendous night... 1,519 people died. Only 705 of the passengers were rescued. But here's the question I have for you this morning. When the Titanic, which thought to be an unsinkable ship, went down, how many of the people on board needed to be rescued? All of them. Every man, woman, teen and child, everyone on the ship needed to be rescued. How many of you know, at this point, it didn't matter how much money you had, right? At this point, it didn't matter your social status. At this point, it didn't matter what title you had in front of your name. What did you need? You needed to be, you needed to be rescued. That, my friends, I believe is a vivid picture of the reality of humanity. It's the reality for every person here in this one. And so to speak, we were on the Titanic and we needed someone to come to our rescue. And that's exactly what God did for us when he sent his son to die, that we might live, to die, that we might be rescued. See, we had a problem. We had a problem we could not solve on our own. We had no solution for our sin crisis. And God intervened and made a way that our sin could be forgiven and we could be restored to a right relationship with God. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I believe best captures both God's love and God's work on our behalf. Listen to the words that Jesus spoke. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, to rescue the world 
through him. Because of God's love, what he took action. Because of, of his love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way that our sin could be forgiven. That we might be made righteous before God through Christ, what we have rescue. For your salvation this morning depends on what Christ has done for you, not what you've done for him. It isn't your work for God that saves you, but it's God's work for you. All we could do is identify we had a problem. We, we couldn't solve the problem. We could see the problem. We could call the problem for what it was, but we couldn't solve the problem that we had. The good news for us is that God has made a way. And the Apostle Paul clearly defines this in Ephesians chapter 2. This, this passage of Scripture, maybe more than any other in the Bible, reveals the predicament, the predicament of humanity and the provision of God. So that's what we want to look at this morning. The predicament of humanity, the provision of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, I want to read the first ten verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. So in other words, at one time in your life, this was you. Don't separate yourself from the text, the scripture. Paul's talking about you. He says at one point, this was you. You were gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, notice by nature, objects of wrath. I love this transition, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Within this passage of Scripture, Paul identifies four different works in the life of every Christ follower. So I'm going to process through these verses this morning to gain sight into these four works. Here's the four works that he identifies. Sin's work against us, God's work for us, God's work in us, then God's work through us. So let's talk about those just, just for a couple of minutes this morning. Let's begin with sin's work against us. Interesting, the Apostle Paul doesn't mince words here. In verse 1 he says, as for you, you were dead. You're dead. No life. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, of course, he's talking about spiritual death. We were spiritually dead and that before Jesus rescued us, we were unable to understand and appreciate spiritual, spiritual things. Before Christ, B.C., before Christ, an individual has no spiritual life and they can do nothing to please God. Like, just as a person who's physically dead cannot respond to physical stimuli, so a person who's spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things, right? Like a corpse in a funeral home cannot hear a conversation or have a conversation. Are you with me? Right? They have no desire for food. Why? They're dead, right? 
They have no desire for something to drink. Why? Because they're, they're dead. There's no life in the body. So Paul says it was for us before Christ. We were, we were spiritually dead. So an unbeliever, an individual who's not a believer, is not sick. They're dead. They don't need resuscitation. They need resurrection. All lost sinners are dead. The only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. This means, this means that our world is one vast graveyard filled with people who were dead while they're still alive. This was sin's work against us. We are a people with a past marked by disobedience and failure which demonstrates something's wrong at the core of our being. What's the problem? It's sin's work against us. The depravity of humanity. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. That's where the crisis happened. It happened in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, he says you can enjoy everything in the garden except for the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 verses 14 through 17. He says if you eat of this tree, you will die. Wasn't speaking of spiritual death, wasn't speaking of physical death, he was speaking of spiritual death. Jesus said, you will surely die. Interesting, some time passed, we come to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden, it's there that the deceiver comes, Satan comes, disguised as a serpent, and he says to Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, he says, surely you will not die. Like God's just holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have what's best, that's why he said, don't eat from this tree. And the scripture tells us that Adam and Eve did what they were not supposed to do. They disobeyed. And at that point, at that point, death set in. They, at that point, they spiritually died. Not physically, but spiritually died. So the problem we have today actually began then. It sends work against us. Have you ever noticed you don't have to tell someone how to be bad? You notice that? You don't have to coach someone. Let me, let me show you how to be bad. Why? Because we have a problem at the core of our being. What is it? It's sin's work against us. It's sin's work that, that separated us from God. Notice in verses 1 through 3, Paul clearly states the spiritual condition of an unsaved person. He says they are spiritually dead in their sin and transgression. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. He says they're disobedient, choosing the ways of the world. They're self-gratifying and fulfilling the cravings of their sinful nature. They're driven to live for what they want, not what God wants. Listen, all of us, all of us were here at some point, and the problem was sin's work against us. Possibly, you're there today. Sin's work against you. And because of our sinful nature, we were separated from God and doomed to an eternity apart from God. We were in trouble. Listen, we were on the Titanic and it was going down. What did we need? We needed to be rescued. So praise God, it doesn't stop with sin's work against us. The second work that Paul identifies is God's work for us. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is, I love this, rich in mercy. Think about overflowing mercy. Rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So God's answer for sin's work against us was what? It was his mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. So what's mercy? Mercy means this. We don't get what we deserve. How many of you know we don't want what we deserve? Right? 
Grace is what we get what we don't deserve. We get forgiveness. We get slate white clean. So through the provision of Jesus Christ, every sinner can be pardoned. This word pardon is a, is a great word. It means to excuse an offense without exacting a penalty. It means to forgive a wrong and wipe the slate clean. Interesting, if you're familiar with the Constitution of the United States of America, in Section 2, Article 2 of the Constitution, there's a statement concerning pardon. And this is what it says. The President of the United States has the authority to grant pardon. With a stroke of a pen, the man in the big house has the authority, what? To, to, to wipe someone's slate clean. Rather than them getting the punishment their crime would deserve, they can go free. And that's what's available for us through the provision of Jesus Christ. To be pardoned. There's an interesting story connected to a presidential pardon. The year was 1829. The gentleman's name was George Wilson. George Wilson and an accomplice robbed a train. In the midst of robbing a train, they, they took someone's life. They were caught, and the accomplice to the crime was... Uh, was hung on a gallows. His life was taken. Well, George Wilson, to his benefit, he had some friends um, who knew the president, President Andrew Jackson at the time. So they went to President Andrew Jackson and said, you know, President, we don't know why I got into George. He's a good old boy. We don't know why he would ever rob a train, why he would ever take someone's life. It must have totally been an accident because he's a really good guy. Would you give George Wilson a pardon? And get this, President Andrew Jackson did. He signed a pardon saying that George Wilson would not have to experience the punishment for his crime. So they go to George Wilson and said, great news, you've been pardoned by the president, President Andrew Jackson. But what's perplexingly interesting about this story is George Wilson refused the pardon. Now, now we have a mess on our hands. The president's granted a pardon. The man with authority, George Wilson's, refused the pardon. So it goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, back and forth, back and forth. What do we do with this? Finally, this is the conclusion they came to. They said the pardon is given as a gift. And if the gift is not received, then the man must experience the punishment for his crime. And George Wilson was hung to death. Interesting. Why? Because he refused the pardon. Listen, there's an answer. There's an answer for sin's work against us, and it's the provision of Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death, a pardon has been given. But hear me, hear me, friends. Every individual has to accept the pardon. If you want to be free from sin's work against you, if you want to have abundant life and eternal life, then what you have to you have to be receptive. You have to receive that of God's mercy and grace. That brings about a miracle in your life. A miracle of you becoming born again. So God's work for us is that he sent his son to die that, 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 we, might, that we might be rescued. That brings us to a third work that Paul talks about. Not only do we have God's work for us, but we have God's work in us. Verse 10, if you look to verse 10, Paul goes on to say that we are God's workmanship. Workmanship. Interesting, in the Greek text, that word workmanship means that which is made, a manufactured product. In other words, our conversion is not the end. When you said yes to Jesus, that's not the end. That's really, that's really just the beginning. 
We are part of God's new creation, and God continues to work in us to make us what He wants us to be. His purpose is to make us more like Christ. The same resurrection power that saved you and and took you out of the graveyard of sin can daily help you to live for Christ and to glorify Him. It's Christ's work in us, God's work in us. So God didn't save us and leave us on our own. God didn't rescue us and say, hey, go figure it out on your own. Then when God rescued us, He began this work in us. A few weeks ago, we talked about at the point of salvation, there's a miracle that happens. And the miracle is that you're indwelt, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The third person in the Trinity is residing in you. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit's coaching and encouraging and correcting and directing and empowering. The Holy Spirit is refining in your life. But it's the work of Christ in you. Transforming you. Bringing about that of the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. So God's, listen, God's committed to who He created us to be. Therefore, He continues, He continues to restore and refine in us. We are a work in process. From the time you accepted Christ as your Savior until your journey on this earth ends. Listen, God is working in you. So turn, turn to your neighbor and tell them, tell them to say, hey, God isn't finished with me yet. Go ahead and tell them, God isn't finished with me yet. I am a work in process. Go ahead and tell them, I'm a work in process. So the next time, listen, the next time you're frustrated with me, just say, oh, Lord bless him. I know he's a work in process, right? That's all you got to remember, because that's what we all are. I'm not perfected yet. I am a work in process. I have God working in me. You have God working in you to bring about that of his purpose and his plan in his future, in your life, and for your life. So God's working in you to bring us to the fourth work of God in our lives, and it's this, it's God working through you. God working in you so that he can work through you. The last part of verse 10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus, get this, to do good works. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just just as electrical wire is created to carry the power of electricity from one location to another to accomplish a work, so you and I have been created to carry the power of God to others as we do good works. Think about that. You You know what I'm talking about when I say electrical wire, right? What's it created for? To carry power from one place to another place to accomplish work, to bring energy to another location. So it is, so it is in our lives. God wants to flow His power through our lives to bring help for others. One of my all-time favorite quotes, maybe you've heard me say this before because I say it often, is from Dr. Paul Powell who said this, God didn't save you to sit soaking sour. God didn't save you just to fill a pew on Sunday morning. God didn't save you just to get you to heaven. Listen, if God's greatest plan was to save you so he could get you to heaven, he would have saved you and raptured you before you could have screwed things up. (laughs) Say amen. You know it's true. But he saved you and he left you here. So why are you here? You're here for a greater purpose than just filling time and space. God saved you. He brought grace to you so he can flow grace through you. Amen? But it's, it's the good works 
that he wants to do in and through your life. Now, it's important that we understand. Here's an important theological statement. We are not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. As theologian John Calvin wrote, it's it's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. So we're not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that that works, a faith that's lived out. In James chapter two, verse 14, the scripture says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And then he goes on to give this illustration. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So the very faith, the very faith we profess must produce good works. We're saved so that we can glorify the God, so that we can glorify God. And one of the ways that we do that is through good works. So what we discover in the Bible is that God saved us and He's given us ability so we can be a part of His redemptive plan. There's a great story of a Christian woman who often visited a retirement home near her house. And one day she noticed a man sitting alone at his, sitting alone staring at his dinner tray. In a kindly manner, she asked him, Sir, is, is something wrong? The man replied, Is something wrong? I, I, I can't eat this food. I, I'm a Jewish man and I, this food is, is deplorable. She said, well, What would you like me to do? And he said, Well, I would like some soup. So this woman, never knew this man before, went home, made some soup, came back, talked with the administration at the front office. And asked if she could take the soup to this man. And and they gave her the okay. And then in succeeding weeks, she continued to prepare food that this man would enjoy because of his heritage. And brought it to him. And over a period of time, as she was doing these good works, this man came to embrace Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it happened, get this, it all began with with a bowl of soup. Really simple. That's how it all started. Someone who, was, someone who was simply doing good works and in the midst of doing good works, they got to be a part of God's redemptive plan. How might that work in your life? Now, I believe that God's also saved us and He's given us abilities so that we can bring honor to Him through our lives. And when you do good works, can I tell you what it is? It's more than good works, it's worship. Worship is so much more than singing a song. As we do good works, as we're living out God's grace, as we're living out God's work in us, what is it? It actually becomes this. It's worship to God. I believe that God's given us. He saved us and He's given us ability so that we can serve others. Now, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And God wants to work through you to reveal His love, to reveal His grace. And it happens as, as we allow Him to work through us. So we have, we have this one. We have sin's work against us. And praise God, it doesn't just stop there. Sin's work against us calls for God's work for us. 
And that in our crisis, what? He gave us mercy and grace. Pardon. That our, our slate could be wiped clean. We have God's work in us, and then He's refining and restoring. And that all of us today, what well, we're a work in process, a work of God's grace. And then God wants to work through us. His work through our lives so that others can experience the wonder of His grace. So my prayer today, my prayer today is simply this. That you would fully embrace both God's work for you, God's work in you, and God's work through you. We celebrate what God's done, but this is what I'm convinced of. There's a greater work ahead. Amen. There's a, there's a greater day ahead because of the wonder of God's grace. Amen. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you this morning for your work on our behalf because, Lord, there is the reality of sin's work against us. Lord, everyone in the room today, we were like the folks on the Titanic. When the crisis happened, the ship was going down. Everyone needed to be rescued. Lord, so that was true of our lives. I know for many here today, they've embraced your rescue. They've embraced that of your work for them. They've received your mercy and grace. And Lord, because of that, what I know is you're working in their life. And you desire to work through their lives. To do good works. That's what you, Lord, you, we've been created in you to do good works. But my prayer today for myself, for all my friends, is that we would embrace that. For allowing you to work in our lives and through our lives that others might experience your love and grace through our works. May we not just have a faith that saves, but we may, may we have a faith that is us, that's bringing about a transformed life that's living out the love of Jesus. And I pray that for every individual today. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.